It is, it is good to be back in the pulpit uh, once again today. And as it was said earlier, you know, we're going to be continuing on in the, the book of Galatians. Um, but in case there's anybody here who, who doesn't know who I am, my name is, is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Milo Mission. And for a while there, me and along with the other Milo Mission staff, we were preaching through separate books of the Bible. So I was preaching from 1 John, Matt was doing um, James, and Adam was doing Jonah. But now we've, we've all come together and we're preaching through Galatians. So a few weeks ago, Matt kicked this off in the, in the series when he preached from chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And now I'm just going to pick up where he left off. I'm going to pick up in verse 6, just as Dana had just read out. So that's what we're going to do. And, and if you're able to catch Matt's sermon just a few weeks ago, you'll remember that his sermon, it was all about the gospel. Okay, Matt's sermon was all about the gospel. And well, today's sermon is also going to be all about the gospel. Because this is, why, this is why Paul writes in the first place. This is why he's writing this letter to the Galatians. See, in the Galatian church, there, was, there were a group of people who were preaching a false gospel. And that word gospel, just, it, it literally means good news. Okay, the word gospel just literally means good news. And specifically, in a church context, it, it means the good news of Jesus Christ. But there was this counterfeit gospel that was being preached to the, to the Galatians, and this didn't actually provide any sort of, of good news. And Paul writes this passage, he writes these verses to tell them that it is crucial to get the gospel message right, that there is no other gospel. And brothers and sisters, I think, I think this message is probably just a little bit more relevant for all of us than we'd, we'd like to think. Because there, there are plenty of false gospels that are all around us. And, well, to challenge us all, here this morning. Do we know the real gospel well enough to pick out the counterfeit ones? Do we know the real gospel well enough to pick out the counterfeit ones? Greg Gilbert, in the, in the introduction to his book, What is the Gospel?, he, he gives a list of different descriptions, a bunch of different ways that he's either read or heard of people describe the gospel. And I'm, I'm going to read out a few of them now, and I want you all to really pay close attention, okay? Pay attention to what, what these descriptions are, because I want us all to try collectively to discern whether or not, and assess whether or not each description is true. Okay, sound good? Okay, got a few head nods. There we go. Okay, so, so number one, the first one, first description of the gospel. Okay, the good news is that God's face will always be turned toward you, regardless of what you have done, where you have been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and is turned in your direction looking for you. Is that the gospel? Well, there, there is a lot of truth here. Admittedly, there's a lot of truth here. But the problem with this, it's not quite the gospel because there's too much emphasis about us. It's, it's all about you. It's not enough about God. So, so that's number one, okay? So number two. Second description, the, God, the good news is God wants to show you his incredible favor. He wants to fill your life with new wine, but are you willing to get rid of your own old wineskins? Will you start thinking bigger? Will you enlarge your vision and get rid of those old negative mindsets that hold you back? Is this one the gospel? No? Okay, there you go, there you go. And you're right, not, not really. Again, there's, there's a little bit of truth, but there's a lot missing. 
And, and while our response to the gospel, it's, it's not to just think bigger. So that was number two. Here, here's number three. Okay, number three is my understanding of Jesus' message is that he teaches us to live in the reality of God now, here and today. It's almost as if Jesus just keeps saying, change your life, live this way. So how about this one? Is that one the gospel? No, getting a lot of thumbs down, okay. And again, you're right, this, this isn't it. There is truth that, that as we get to know Jesus, our, our lives will be changed, but the main point of the gospel is not that we change our lives to somehow live in the reality of God. So that's, that's number three, okay? So here's, here's the last one, number four. Here's the gospel in a phrase. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. That's the gospel. So finally, how about that? Is this one the gospel? James, give me a big old thumbs up. <laughs> and well, yes, this is actually a basic, true description of the gospel. It speaks to the fact that we are accountable to God for our actions. It talks about Jesus' sacrifice. It also addresses our response of trusting in him to pardon us from the guilt of our sin. And well, none of these descriptions are necessarily perfect, but all of them except that last one are actually false. Not completely false. There's, there's that little bit of truth that's, that's there, but in mixed in with that truth is just a little bit of lie. Or perhaps, well, a whole lot of lie. And well, can you see how it's so easy to drift from the truth? See, this is what the Galatians were facing. There were people in the church who were teaching them the gospel, but mixed with a bit of lie. And some of these Galatians, they were in the process of turning to this false gospel. So Paul writes what he does in verses 6 to 10. He writes to rebuke them. He writes to love them, to tell them the truth, to, to plea with them to remain in the one true gospel of grace. And he does this, he does this by driving home this main point, okay? So, so here's the sermon in a sentence. If you're taking notes, you can feel free to write this one down. So here's the main point. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel, and it is of utmost importance. There's only one gospel, and it is of utmost importance. And we're going to see that broken down three, three different ways throughout the passage. We're going to see point one in verses six to seven, okay? So in verses six to seven, same thing as that first half of the main point. There's only one gospel. Okay, so that's point one. There's only one gospel. Verses six and seven. Then for point two, we've got in verses eight and nine, the gospel is more important than the preacher. Okay, point two, verses eight and nine, the gospel is more important than the preacher. And then finally, point three, we're going to see that's in verse 10. The gospel is more important than pleasing people. In verse 10, the gospel is more important than pleasing people. But right before we, we dive into the verses themselves, we should be aware of what's not here. Okay, there's something missing. If you compare the opening to this letter to the rest of the letters that Paul wrote, you'll notice that there's something missing. There's nothing in Galatians that resembles any kind of like Thanksgiving section. Typically, you know, Paul, he would write something like this, as he does in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, We always thank God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And, and then he continues on and so on. Even for the Corinthian church, who, who had a lot of issues and needed a lot of correction, Paul even for them included a section that had some kind of thanksgiving. But here in Galatians, he leaves it out. And this should really emphasize the emotion and the tone that is behind this text and what he's saying. Instead of a thanksgiving, they get a rebuke. And has anybody here ever been rebuked? Perhaps by a, a family member or, or a boss or a parent or, or even a friend? See, a, a lot of times I think when we, when we get, address, when we get um, rebuked, we can tell based on the address of what's coming. Okay, so for instance, if somebody says, hey Dave, can you, can you just pop over here for a sec? Versus, David Allen Drover, get your carcass over here. <laughs> I mean, the second one's a lot different from the first, right? I know, I know that there's something that is serious that needs to be dealt with based on that second address. In a similar way, when Paul writes this letter and he leaves out this thanksgiving, he's, he's letting these Galatians know that he is fired up, that he's ready, that there is something that needs to be dealt with. Paul, he's He's astonished. He's, he's deeply disturbed. He's mad. He's passionate all because of what's at stake, the truth of the only gospel. Just look at verses 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He's, he's extraordinarily disturbed by the fact that the Galatians are so quickly turning away from the God and, and the gospel of grace and instead are turning to a different gospel. But, but what is this different gospel? What is this different or counterfeit gospel? In verse 7, we, we see that there's a group in the church who, who are troubling them by distorting the gospel. So we see that this different gospel is also a distorted gospel. As Schreiner explains, he said the, the word for alter or distort is often used to denote strong contrasts, denoting a radical change as of water into blood, or fresh water into salt, or feasting into mourning, or daylight into darkness. The opponents have been trying to seduce these Galatians to turn from the light of the true gospel to the darkness of a false gospel. And how they are distorting the gospel is that they're adding to it. Okay, if you read later on in the letter in, in either chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, or chapter 5, verse 2 to 6, or even chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, you'll see that how they're adding to the gospel is that they are trying to force the Galatians to be circumcised because they believe that this was necessary in order to be a part of the people of God. And this was a big deal. Okay, th this was a big deal because essentially what they're saying is that in, in order to become a Christian, okay, in order to become a Christian, you need faith and works. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to get circumcised. So they're taking this gospel of grace and they're altering it into a gospel of grace plus works. Truth, just, just mixed in with a little bit of lie. And if you think back to those different descriptions of the gospel that, that we read out earlier, you know, it's possible that the, this group's description of the gospel goes something like this. 
you know, yeah, yeah, it seems like Paul preached about, about 80% of the gospel before. You know, Jesus is our Lord, and we do need to have faith in him in order to be saved. But you also need to be circumcised before you can really be a child of God. I'd say that Paul, you know, he, he just didn't want to upset you earlier. So when he came, he probably just watered down the message a little bit. And, you know, he, he did that probably so that you would accept most of it and then just take these final steps later. But, but isn't it great that you're just one step away from being part of God's people? Well, as we'll see later, Paul is not about watering down the gospel. But nevertheless, these Galatians, they were struggling with knowing who to believe and what was true. And some, they were turning away from the truth and turning toward a lie. So Paul writes this to rebuke them and point them back to the only true gospel. And this is point one. Okay, this is point one. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. In verse seven, right after Paul writes that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel, notice just how quickly he then says, not that there is another one, Right away, he's like, there's no, there's no other gospel. And he's not contradicting himself, but instead he's emphasizing that this different gospel, it's, it's counterfeit, it's fake, it, it's worthless. Trusting in this false gospel would be like going to buy a car with Monopoly money. It just is pointless. There's only one gospel, and that is the gospel of grace. And to be clear, okay, to be clear, grace is getting what we don't deserve, let me say that again, because we need to understand this. Grace is getting something that we do not deserve. Grace is not earned. Grace is not worked for. So, so the gospel of grace is a free gospel. It is the good news that we do not deserve. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul has said in, in verses 3 and 5. If you just look up a few verses in chapter 1, he says, Grace to you and, pre- and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the truth is, is that, that all of us here today are sinners. As Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we deserve, what is rightfully owed for our actions, for our sin is is the penalty of death. We deserve to face the wrath of God. But Jesus gave his life for our sins to deliver us from our sin and to save us from this penalty instead of death through faith in Christ. We can have life and we do nothing to deserve it. We, we do nothing worthy or have nothing good to bring to the table. We just simply come as we are. We just get to come deserving of nothing and yet gaining everything in Christ. As Christians, this, this is the grace that we've been called into. This is what Paul says in verse 6. And this isn't the only place where, where Paul talks about calling. Okay, in, in chapter 8, verse 30, he says, And those whom he, he being God, so, and those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And well, as we see in, in this text, in Romans 8.30, we see that the way that God saves us is that he, he chooses us, he calls us, he justifies us, and then he glorifies us. 
And I don't want you to miss that word justifies, okay? Don't miss the word justifies because this is the part of the gospel that these Galatians were, were distorting. See, to be justified, it simply means to be declared as righteous or good, okay? To be declared justified means to be declared as righteous or good. So what, what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is that those who are called by God are then justified or, in other words, declared as righteous before God. And how we are declared righteous before God is through faith alone, by grace alone. It's not by our own works or anything that we can do. It is only through having faith in Jesus. And this is, again, what Paul will say later on in the letter in chapter 2, verse 15. When Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We are not made right with God through any work of the law. And that includes circumcision. We, we do not and we cannot earn God's favor ourselves. Although, for being honest, don't we sometimes try? I would guess that, you know, mo- most of us here probably wouldn't claim to add to the gospel. But perhaps if you're anything like me, these ideas, they can so subtly creep in to your life. I do really resonate with the words we're going to sing at the end of the service in Come Thou Fount. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, to take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, sometimes I can, I can find myself thinking, you know, if, if I just read my Bible a little bit more, or if I just pray more often, then, then I'll be more favorable to God. Or, you know, if, if I just do well at my job in ministry, if, if I can preach okay, if I can, if I can serve often, if I can teach well, then God must somehow look at me better or think more of me. Or perhaps it's even coming to church or, or being a good friend or, or how much we give. And don't get me wrong, all these things are really good things that we should do, but they do not save us. Okay, by doing them, we don't earn more of God's favor. We already have it in Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. And this is why we need to read books like Galatians and passages like this one, because it is so, so easy for us to subtly start believing in a lie. And even just a tiny bit of lie mixed in with the truth now, can lead us far, far away from the truth in the future. If you, if you think about a boat, okay, as it travels across the Atlantic Ocean, say you're going from, from Newfoundland to, to Ireland, okay, so you're, you're picturing a boat, and assuming that the boat's just traveling like in a straight line, okay, it's going in a straight line, at the beginning of the trip, if, if this boat is just one degree off, at the beginning, it's not really all that far off course, right? It looks pretty, it looks pretty close. But, but the further and the further that, that boat one degree off travels, 
the further and further away it gets from its final destination. And eventually, it's not going to end up there. It's two completely different spots. No matter how small or insignificant an altered gospel may seem, it will always lead us away from the truth. So this is why, okay, this is why we need to know the true gospel. This is why we need to be reminded of the fact that we have been called in the grace of Christ. This is why we need to be warned, perhaps even rebuked, about distorting the gospel. We need to know the real gospel in order to pick out the counterfeit ones, in order to not be tricked by the false ones. There's only one gospel that will make us right with God. And I'll say it again. We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. And this gospel, this message, this is of utmost importance. And in these next couple of verses, we're going to see how it is of utmost importance. And we see in point two that the gospel is more important than the preacher. Okay, the gospel is more important than the preacher. Verses eight and nine. And, and to be clear, the point's not that the preacher or the messenger is not important, but the point is that the message and the content of the gospel is of greater importance than the preacher. Anyone here hears the gospel being preached should follow the message and not the messenger. Just look at verses 8 and 9. Okay, it says, but, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. Notice that he repeats himself here. Okay, and this should show us that he's serious about what he's saying. He's emphasizing the importance of the content of the gospel, the gospel of grace that he and the other apostles have been preaching. And he's not holding anything back here. Okay, Paul's not holding anything back. When he says, let him be accursed, He's saying that they should face ultimate and final destruction. He's essentially saying that if anyone's preaching a false gospel, then let them just go to hell. This is how important getting the gospel right is to Paul. The message is more important than the messenger. Just look at how the difference is between how these verses start. Okay, In verse 8, when he starts it, he says, if, if we a.k.a. himself and the other apostles, or even an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel. And then in verse 9, he says, if anyone is preaching a different gospel. See, by including himself and even angels as, as sources from heaven, he's making the point that nobody has a high enough position to distort the gospel. Nobody has any kind of position that they can alter the message. Paul sees the content is more important than even his own life. He's, he's including himself in this. He's literally saying that if, if I distort the gospel and preach it to others, then let me face eternal destruction. The message of the gospel is of utmost importance. And these verses, they remind me of what Jesus says in Mark 9, 42. When he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Causing others to sin is not okay. And likewise, intentionally preaching a false gospel is, is not okay. I hope that none of us here are guilty of this, but if we are, we need to repent. 
And the point here is not that we need to be perfect or that we need to like have 11 PhDs in order to go preach the gospel. That's not the point. God can use a weak gospel presentation in, in so many beautiful and wonderful ways. But the point is that we cannot alter the core message. We can't change it. We can't distort it. We cannot water it down to try and make it less offensive, and we cannot add to it in order to try and puff ourselves up. Because there are souls on the line. There are souls on the line. Remember that a counterfeit gospel, it lacks power. If someone believes in a false gospel and then influences others to believe in it, then then neither of them are actually made right with God. And I hope and pray that, that these words of Jesus in Matthew 23 13 to 15 would not be true of any of us. As he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, I know this is heavy. This probably isn't the, the nicest wake-up call. And, and as I wrote this, I could feel and quoted it. I could feel the weight of these words. But, but I hope that harsh texts like this one, that they'll shock us. Okay, that they will shock us and then motivate us to know the gospel more deeply to, and then to go and tell others about it. Just like a, a banker will spy out ca- counterfeit bills by spending time holding and feeling and studying real bills would we be a church that is able to spot counterfeit gospels by spending time with the real one by spending time reading the word by by spending time praying and living in community with one another and then will we realize what an important task that we have as a church and as christians to go and make disciples to proclaim the true gospel to proclaim the message that god uses to redeem sinners Calvary, let's be a church that takes the gospel seriously. The message of the gospel is more important than the preacher, and it is also more important than pleasing people. And this is point three, that the gospel is more important than pleasing people. In verse 10, Paul writes, For for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As Paul begins to, to transition in his letter to defend the gospel that he's been preaching, he emphasizes that the gospel and serving Christ is more important than being liked. Here he realizes what he's just, he, he's totally aware of what he just said in verses 6 to 9. Just look at how verse 10 starts, okay? He says, for am I now, am I now seeking the approval of man? He knows that he's just rebuked these Galatians and that he said some, some really weighty things, but he does it for a purpose. Okay, he does it for a purpose. And that purpose, the ultimate purpose, is not to, be ple- to have the Galatians be pleased with him or to earn their approval. But instead, he does it because he is a servant of Christ. And being a servant of Christ, that means proclaiming his message and loving his people. And here, Paul, he's, he's doing both. He's loving these Galatians by calling them, calling them back to the gospel. He's loving them by proclaiming 
the message. See, Paul knows the dangers of believing in a distorted gospel. He knows that there are souls on the line. And here he's saying that he cares more about these Galatians knowing and believing the truth than he does about them liking him. For them to be brought back to the real gospel is far better for them than to have an affirming, chummy friend in Paul. Paul, in this rebuke, he's actually loving them. And as he asks that question in verse 10, whose approval is he seeking? The answer is God. He's a servant of Jesus, not man. And as I mentioned before about how, you know, how preachers are still important, you know, Paul is not saying that relationships don't matter or that it's necessarily wrong to be liked. We need to be in Christian community. But what he is saying is that there is something more important than the approval of others. And what's more important than the approval of others is the true gospel. And well, this is, this is a hard truth. <laughs> Speaking for myself, I, I, I kind of like being liked. I do. I, I, don't, I don't really like confrontation. I, I tend to, to flee from conversations that could lead to conflict. And it's often way more easy and, and more natural for me to turn a blind eye towards somebody's sin than to confront them with the gospel. And, and I'm not saying that we should be jerks. The gospel, it's not an excuse to be a jerk. But, but the truth is that if I'm really going to love all of you, and you're all really going to love me, well, then we need to be willing to correct one another with the gospel. That means that we're going to be, need to be willing to rebuke one another in love from time to time. Because love is desiring what's best for another person. And sometimes what's best for somebody is not affirmation. You know, sometimes it's just a kick in the pants. Love is not the same as affirming someone and affirming them is going to lead them down a path that's not good for them. No, nobody would say that it's good parenting to let your child do whatever they want. If your child is playing in the middle of the road and you see that there's a car coming, the most loving thing that you can do for your kid is to get them out of the road, even if that means that you have to yell or rebuke them. If I avoid having a necessary, hard conversation and avoid pointing you back to the gospel because I'm afraid that you won't like me as much, then I'm really just loving myself. So as a church, are we willing to love in a real way? Do we value the gospel as more important than the approval of others? And are we going to be like Paul and be servants of Christ by proclaiming him and his gospel? Because what I need what you need, what this city needs, is to know and believe in the gospel day after day, moment after moment. The gospel is more important than pleasing people. And we need to be a people that are willing to stand for the truth at the cost of being hated. But friends, let me also tell you that this is not always going to be an easy thing. It can be frustrating it can be exhausting, depressing, and, and even terrifying. But there are more important things to life than our feelings and people's opinions about us. We need to trust in the message 
more than in other people's feelings. But also, I don't want you all to think for even a second that this is bad news for us. Okay, let me remind you again that the gospel is good news. This is the message, okay? We have this kind of a message. What other message can bring people from spiritual death to life? What other message will set people free from the burdens of trying to measure up? That will heal the broken? That will rescue the lost? What other news will provide somebody with purpose? What other message will provide us with an unshakable hope? What other message provides us with everlasting joy? What other message will provide us with comfort in our sufferings? And what other message will bring guilty sinners into the warm embrace of a loving Father? The gospel, it's, it, it's good news for all who come. It's good news for everybody. No one is turned away from Jesus. Nobody. As Pastor Steve has often said, I've never met the sinner that came to Jesus that he didn't want. So far we've seen how important the gospel is, but now I want us to see that the gospel is greater because whatever the cost may be, okay, whatever the cost may be for us personally, what we gain in knowing Jesus is far, far better. Just look, look at what Paul says as he's, or how he sees his life before Christ in Philippians 3, 4-9. Okay, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul, from his Jewish culture's perspective, he he had it all. He had it all, but he counted it all as rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. Jesus is the most tender, the most good, the most accessible and gentle and loving person of all time. He has provided us with everything that we need in order to know him, in order to be in relationship with him. We don't need our own righteousness through the law. We don't need to have our lives all put together. We simply come in faith, believing in Jesus, in his work, in his sacrifice, and in his righteousness for us. And all of this is given to us, not because we've earned it, but because God has so graciously called us and loved us. It's, it's all grace. It's all grace. Although sometimes I think in our lives we can be tempted to treat our relationship with God kind of like a stockpile. We can tend to 
think that, you know, God will ultimately favor us depending on how big or how small our pile is. The more good stuff that we do, the, the bigger the pile gets, and then the more bad stuff we do, and well, the, the lower it gets, and the, the bigger it grows, the more he favors us, and the lower it grows, the less he favors us. But, but that's not the gospel. That's not grace. If you knew, use the analogy rightly, if our righteousness was a stockpile, okay, get this, that no matter how bad or how often you sin, that stockpile is always stacked to infinity. It's always to the max because it's not really our stockpile. <laughs> it's Jesus' stockpile. Because we are united with him through faith, his righteousness is counted to us. Our standing, our righteousness before God in Jesus will never get any smaller and it will never get any bigger. This is how we are justified by faith. Because through faith, we are united with Christ. And Jesus, he provides everything. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Again, this is grace. There's nothing that we can do to add to that pile. There's nothing that we can do to take away from that pile. And because of this, we know that we can always run to God and he's never going to grow tired or weary of us. We can know that it's safe. As Dane Ortland writes in his, his new book, Deeper, he says, around Jesus, sinners, those who know themselves to be sinners, feel safe. They find themselves both known to be guilty and embraced in love rather than one or the other. Our felt shame is what draws Jesus in. He is the mighty friend of sinners. And well, where else in the world can you find those known to be guilty to be also perfectly embraced in love? Nowhere but in Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. There is only one gospel. There's only one gospel and it is of utmost importance for it is the greatest news. It is the greatest news that a sinner like you or me could ever hear. So brothers and sisters, let's be passionate about the gospel. Let us know the real gospel. Let's proclaim the real gospel and live by it. And as we now approach communion and, and the Lord's table. As we do this together, let's remember these truths and remember why we do this. Let's remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. The bread that represents his body that was broken, the grape juice that represents his blood that was shed on the cross. You see, this, this gospel of grace was not cheap. It came at a great cost and that cost was Jesus giving his life for us. And remember that he did it all out of love. I love the words that we sang earlier when we sang how deep the Father's love for us. Behold a man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. But ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath 
has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all of my heart, that his wounds have paid my ransom. There is only one gospel. It is more important than the preacher. It is more important than pleasing people. It is of utmost importance because it is the greatest, the most powerful, and the most beautiful news that we could ever hear. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I... I just want to say thank you for your gospel, for the good news of the fact that we simply need to come, that we don't need to bring anything ourselves. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the sacrifice that you, had, that you made for us. So Father, help us to just know the gospel more deeply. Help us to study it. Help us to let it be in our lives and, and live by it, Lord, that it would change us and grow us. Lord, and that ultimately our lives would just be lived for your glory. In Jesus' name, 